0: What do the most successful, growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens. With all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
1: On one hand, I did not want to be the face of the brand to start out, for sure. Um, It was definitely my my partner and my co-founder who... Said to me, "Are you kidding? You, like you, people need to see you. Like you are the person to sell this." But I think in those early days, people are betting on you. You know, they they, they love the packaging, they love the product, of course, but they have a great interaction with you and go, "Ooh, like this is going to be something." I I believe in this. I saw it in the founder's eyes, and you have to give that to them. I I, I think holding that back because you're nervous or it's uncomfortable does a disservice to your business.
2: You're listening to What I Know. I'm Christine legorio Chafkin. Today's episode, Grow at Your Own Pace. Everyone seems to shake their heads when they hear Facebook's old mantra of move fast and break things. That doesn't mean that for so many startups, fast growth isn't their ultimate goal. It's the thing they chase, and they chase it even more fervently when striving to return an investment to venture capitalists. My guest today saw the way of Silicon Valley and chose the opposite approach, bootstrapping her business funding it on her own along with her partner for as long as she could. Her goal wasn't to break things, but to keep her business going, growing steadily and sustainably. After all, she founded her company in part to be accessible, to be an affordable wellness brand that could be comfortable on a shelf alongside high-end products, but not out of reach to her peers. And she wasn't one to relinquish control of the things she created, either. She's Trinity Muzan Wofford, and her company is called Gold. It makes superfood blends that are nutritional supplements, latte mixers, and face masks, laced with good-for-you stuff like turmeric, mushroom powder, and matcha. She started out of her New York City apartment in 2017 at the age of 23 alongside her partner who gamely took all the product shots for Gold's Instagram page. Today, Instagram is still a great sales channel for the brand, but Gold is also on shelves nationwide at Target and is sold online everywhere from Thrive Market to Goop. I spoke with Trinity about how she thinks about growth and how she navigated making national deals for her very small brand. But before Trinity was navigating her brand's national growth, she was a student struggling to decide whether to go to medical school. When I first went to college, um, I was pre-med, and so
1: my focus was on Um, going down this path of being a doctor, practicing medicine through this sort of holistic lens. And, you know, I had gotten into that in the first place uh, via my mom. Um, You know, I grew up with a, a single parent with a pretty severe autoimmune disease. So I watched my mom really struggle with that. And then I watched her have this incredible experience of switching over to this more holistically minded, if you will, physician who really helped her to, you know, get her symptoms under control and, and and feel her best. And so that was my, you know, light bulb moment of, aha, like this is what I'm going to do. And I think also at that time, I didn't have too much exposure yet to this idea of creative entrepreneurship, whatever. I mean, people weren't necessarily out here starting Shopify stores every day at that point. So, I think At that time, you know, being in high school, thinking about my career, I knew that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I knew something in health and wellness, but it felt certainly from my perspective that I needed to do that through like going to medical school first. Um, So a little bit of a, I think a different lens through which I was, I was looking at the opportunity at that time.
2: Yeah. So did you actually
1: follow through on medical school? (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, I, I had, um... Three great years of being pre-med, got through organic chemistry. I will say I barely got through organic chemistry. (laughs) I think there was a lot of good stuff there. But in the end, a couple of things happened. First of all, I started to really question whether I wanted to go to school for that much longer and and what exactly this career was actually going to look like for me. And then also, um, I had this experience with my mom where I saw that she had to Stopped seeing that doctor that was helping her so much because she couldn't afford it anymore because those treatments are not covered by insurance. So that really also forced me to pause and consider what exactly it was that I wanted to do in wellness and how this piece of accessibility played into it.
2: Oh yeah, that's fascinating. So, so what was the very first sort of seeds of gold? What were what was the, the genesis of the company? And, and uh, tell me, how did you start to devote time to it? Mm-hmm. I had graduated college. I was working
1: in uh, a tech startup. I, you know, I had decided that I didn't want to go to med school, and at that point. I was told, you know, really there were there were two things that I could go do if if I didn't have like a very specific degree in something. I was a psych major. And it was either consulting or going to work at a tech startup. And what year was this? This was like 2015 when, when, I, when I graduated college. And I didn't even know what consulting was. Like it sounded like a very vague term. I went through the whole process. I like got my little suit for the interview and everything. And I, you know, I got a job offer with, with like a boutique consulting firm, but I just, at the same time, I was also, you know, talking to these, these tech startups. And at the end of the day, I thought, you know, I think I'm going to go work at the company where I don't have to wear a suit. I think I'm going to do that at <laughs> least. That was like my defining at that point, um, my refined decision-making skills at, at, at that point in my life. It really worked out. So I often say that I kind of fell into this career where I ended up at this tech startup, um, B2B, software as a service, uh, you know, marketing platform. I was on the marketing team there. And so I found that I really loved startup life. I loved marketing. I loved learning about that. But I was still definitely that friend or coworker who was recommending various herbal remedies to you, depending on how you were feeling, (laughs) You know, I knew I had to get back to that. So I think that was, those were sort of the things that were percolating that that led to this idea of um, maybe I should start a superfood brand.
2: Yeah, that's great. So uh, tell me one non-marketing related thing that you learned at that tech startup that you took with you and has informed you.
1: We had very good team values at that company. And I think good team values are so rare because so often you know, you scribble them down on a piece of paper or something, you throw them in a deck and, and you never look at them again. They don't come back up. But what was really interesting about this company that I worked for is they'd like lived and breathed the values. And I remember one of them that I especially really love that has stuck with me was Strong Opinions Weekly Held. And so I think about that a lot and I think I br- I try to bring that to even building out this team now Um, just this piece of like, you know, who do you want working on this with you? And how do you ensure that you're bringing in people who are really passionate and they have a perspective, um, but there's also just no ego there and they're completely open to the dialogue. And so I think that's something that um, I've taken along with me from that experience.
2: Yeah, I love that. Um, I, I find something I really, I really respect in people just personally as the ability to change your mind on something, um, whether they do it or not. But just having that kind of mental flexibility is so important. Yeah what was sort of the first product you started working on and, and how? I think for so many people, um, products that are nutritional, they're, they're, you know, things that need to be formulated. Um, do you, do you do it on your kitchen counter to start with? You know, what did it look like in the early days uh, when you were designing products?
1: There were some kitchen counter days for sure. Um, and I think, you know, What the product that we started out with was um, still one of our products today, um, our our turmeric latte blend. And so, what was great about that product was, um, you know, we worked on, you know, thinking about the formula from like a flavor perspective, a use, an ease of use perspective, and also how do we make sure that we're getting as much high quality superfoods into this product as possible. Um, So, we started off with a product that was a little bit more kind of bridging the gap between like a, a food or a tea kind of style product and like a, a wellness supplement. So it gave us a little bit more, I would say, flexibility as an early stage business, as first time founders, to create something that was really high quality and and really excellent without necessarily having the budget at that time to like formulate, um, a you know, a crazy custom new supplement, which is, you know, what we do today. So I, I think, you know, a lot of it was just kind of, um, us in our Brooklyn apartment, uh, mixing up superfoods, trying them out, getting our friends feedback, um, and, and finding something that, that really worked. So it was, it was a very, um, organic process, I would say.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then at what point do you kind of go, you know, start in, uh, with a, a lab or a real kitchen mm-hmm. that you have to rent out? How did how did that process work? And first, would you mind just um, talking a little bit more about the idea of these these supplements? I mean, obviously, turmeric is something that a lot of people know is good for you, but don't mm-hmm. really know how to work it into their diets or, you know, and, yes. and how did you approach other products, too? I know that's a kind of massive question, but yeah, I'll yeah. leave you to uh, it.
1: Right. Well, maybe we should talk about gold. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Um, Gold is a, is a superfood brand, and um, you know we have a, a whole kind of assortment of different superfood blends that our customers can add, you know, into their daily routines. Um, you know, today, like anything from turmeric to matcha to functional mushrooms. The real kind of driving force behind why we launched this business and, and how we think about growing it, even today, five years later, um, was this piece of. E- I was looking at my own experiences as a consumer in the wellness industry, and I was feeling very caught between this sort of crunchy granola stuff, if you will, that I had grown up with in upstate New York, and then this next wave of offerings that was really trending at that time that felt very prestige uh, and, and sort of out of reach. And it felt like there was nothing in the middle that truly felt like a feel-good experience, that truly felt friendly and fun and approachable and inclusive. And I knew how powerful wellness and and superfoods were. I had had seen it from my own experiences using products like that, from my mom's experience with her autoimmune disease. But I saw around me that so many of my peers felt like, you know, quote-unquote wellness was not for them, um, you know, because they weren't necessarily the person drinking a $14 green juice and leggings after yoga class, right? Um, so that was really kind of at the core of of why we started the business and, and what we're really still on a mission to do today. What's
2: kind of the next progression of the business? Um how do you move from that idea and that formula for a turmeric latte to a real business? Um, were you selling just direct to consumer at first, and what was that first sort of launch like? You're you're really let's let's also I mean not to make this one question too complicated as well, but you're really <laughs> great at brand building and design as well. You built a really beautiful packaging, so maybe you can talk about that aspect a little bit.
1: Yeah, so I mean, so actually, you know, touching on the brand a little bit at first. Um, so I started the company with my high school sweetheart. Um, we were 22, 23 years old at the time, didn't have a whole lot of work experience, didn't have more than a couple thousand dollars between the two of us in savings to put into the business. So, we just taught ourselves how to do everything. We figured, okay, We'll, we'll manufacture the first few rounds of product in our apartment. Questionably legal. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> we designed the packaging ourselves. And so, you know, I, I, I thank you, Christine, for bringing up the branding. I, I think it's quite colorful. Um, and this was, you know, if you put yourself back to 2017, which is when we launched, 2016 really being when we were ideating on the brand, This was like peak minimalism, right? Like everything, um, you know, white background, black text, very simple. We wanted to stand out as a brand. And we also wanted to present, I think, a very different feeling about wellness products um, than than what was really out there today. So we really wanted the brand to feel a bit more like a lifestyle um, and to kind of like walk and talk like our favorite beauty brands um, you know, really building a community around it, a lifestyle around it. And so we designed the packaging ourselves. Um, we still do the packaging ourselves. The wow. Way. From a, a sales perspective, we did launch online, but we also launched with these select wholesale partners of ours, which were like these independent retailers, um, like cafes, boutiques, um, spas, those types of places. Um where we had this incredible opportunity to get our product on a coveted shelf. We had great packaging, the product was great, so we didn't have too much trouble there. Um, And then if you were in New York City and you were frequenting these sort of like wellness destinations and you were looking at the product shelves at all, you would notice this like pink and green and and yellow packaging and think, man, I'm seeing this brand around. And so we had no marketing budget whatsoever. And frankly, if we had it, we wouldn't have known what to do with it. Um, But we did have um, this profitable channel where our products sat on these incredible shelves We got the right eyes on us. Um, And I think a lot of that helped to even start to scale our direct-to-consumer efforts because people would see us around somewhere and then, you know, maybe they would find us on Instagram and then they would finally go ahead and and make their purchase online. So um, I don't think that you have to follow that classic model of like D to C first, then retail, especially if you don't have budget.
2: Yeah, sure. And it's neat that it gave you um, both that kind of word of mouth feel and a testing ground too Mm -hmm. to do it that way. Online, was Instagram your primary kind of referral network in terms of of finding new customers online? A
1: hundred percent. I mean, we, I think we came onto the Instagram scene at a very good time also. Um, It was a moment where if you happen to see a cute new brand launch on Instagram, you would want to follow them and you would wanna like keep up. You might be not trying to hide from them <laughs> like you have to these days, right? <laughs> I mean, it was perfect because um the Instagram account was, was me and my co-founder posting images that we took um and you know telling a little bit of our story. And I think it was just this time where where people were really in discovery mode, and they were very excited to know about new brands. You know, the space wasn't as um, crowded as it is today. I think it's much harder now to to show up as a new business, especially on a a channel like Instagram. But so that was really kind of what we did. And I sometimes get asked the question of, uh, you know, you guys have so many Instagram followers. Like, how do I pop off in a big way? Like, how do I have this big moment? And, you know, the truth is, like, it took us years, 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 years to even get to, like, 10,000 followers on Instagram. Um, So for the first few years of our business in general, we were very small. Um, You know, we were really strategic about the partnerships that we took on. We didn't have any employees at all. It was just myself and my co-founder. We weren't even taking a salary. We were, like, pulling out. A couple thousand dollars a month to pay our rent, and we would take forty dollars a week to the farmers market and go buy groceries and just live off of that for the week. Um, so it was um, a very different time than now, um, just from like a, a, a scale perspective. But I think not having that pressure to be everywhere at once really gave us the opportunity to learn and, and take our time with the business and really understand. Um, you know, who our customer was, why they appreciated our products, what products we should be launching
2: next. Um, I'm really grateful that we had that time to to take it slow. When you were getting the product onto those first couple of store shelves, you know, whether it's a spa or a coffee shop, did you just walk in and to yes. someone about how did you make the deal? Like how did you, as a, as a solo founder, I mean, well you were working with your partner, but yes. as kind of the face and the whole base of the brand, um, you know, how did you, how did you make those first couple of deals? It's
1: all about the relationships at that point. And so it's so important that you as the founder are willing to walk into the store, introduce yourself, drop off a sample, and then, you know, follow up over email and that that's, the magic. And, and that's really just, that was what we did. I don't think we had anything that was kind of more complex than that. At, at that stage, we would wander around Manhattan and, and Brooklyn um, on weekends and kind of chart out, oh, like this is a place that could, you know, sell our product, whatever. And we would work on building out the list and then we would just go around. And also at that point, I think I like always had a couple of bags of like our turmeric blend just in my tote in case I happened to see somewhere that I just wanted to stop. Um so I I tried to just kind of always be at the ready to to give a pitch.
2: Wow. And how much does that like take out of you? Is that was that natural for you or was that like, oh, let me do this thing <laughs> one more time? <laughs> Cause for some people that salesmanship does not come naturally. That's true. I mean, so on one hand,
1: I did not want to be the face of the brand to start out, for sure. Um, It was definitely my partner and my co-founder who said to me, are you kidding? Like, people need to see you. Like, you are the person to sell this. Um, And at the same time, though, I do think that, you know, if you are starting a new business and you're passionate about it and you believe in it, then you are the one to go out there and tell those stories about the product and tell people why they should care and why they should be bought in. Um, eventually, you do need to hire out a team to help you scale that, and you have to focus on other things besides just you know customer acquisition. Um, but I think in those early days, people are betting on you. You know they they, they love the packaging. They love the product, of course. but um, they have a great interaction with you and go, ooh, like this is gonna be something. I I believe in this. I saw it in the founders' eyes, and you have to give that to them. I I, I think holding that back because you're nervous or it's uncomfortable does a disservice to your business. Um, but if that's not your skill set, maybe you need a co-founder or or someone else who's just as bought in who can who can own that. Doesn't have to be you, but I do think it has to be someone who really represents your company in a meaningful way.
2: When we come back, I'll talk to Trinity about why she learned to say no to a lot of big deals. But first, a quick break.
0: You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
2: So let's fast forward a year or two, and all of a sudden, this sort of slow, steady growth um, didn't look quite so slow and steady. You had like Sephora calling and Target calling, and what do you do with that as a very small company?
1: Oh my gosh, I mean... Big retail is scary as a small business, and um, we've had so many learnings in in that process. I think one of the easiest mistakes to make as an early stage founder who doesn't have retail experience is to assume that, oh my gosh, the buyers want me, check done. I've done it. I've succeeded. This is it. This is the multi million dollar channel. You know, we're in. In reality the buyer having interest in you or even saying, hey, okay, you've got a launch date is just the beginning of the sprint. And I think it's taken us some time, you know, now reflecting back to really understand what goes into that sprint and how to make sure that it's as impactful as possible. Um, We now say no a lot more than we say yes to these retail opportunities. And it's not always like, no, never. It's often no, not right now. Because there's so much to think about as far as the marketing support plan. Where is that customer at that retailer right now in their wellness journey, right? Like, are they buying into superfood products right now? How much is that retailer committed to educating their customer about your product category? Where are you going to sit on the shelf? What are the velocities they expect? Um, So... That, I think, is something that took us some time to to really zero in on and and get right. Um, But I will say, having those retail experiences really, I think, built the brand in a powerful way. I think if anyone wasn't taking us seriously, once they knew that we were an X or Y retailer, it was like, oh, wow, yeah, this is a brand I need to pay attention to. And I think that it really differentiated gold and continues to differentiate gold from a lot of other players in the space, Um, given that we really have that sort of approachable atmosphere to what we do. You know, we're here to sell superfoods to everybody Um, and we're here to do it through that lens of of beauty, which I, I think is a bit different. Um, so I think being really clear on what that differentiation is, and and just making sure that you're ready. Those were some learnings from that time.
2: Yeah. What? Which was the first big retailer that um, you did decide to work with? Mm, so
1: you know, there were there were a few of like varying like you know size levels. The first like I would say big account that we got. Was um, Urban Outfitters, um, and I can still remember exactly where I was when I received the email from the <laughs> father. Like, "Oh my gosh!" Um, we then signed on with Goop, um, which was phenomenal. They were they we've worked with them since you know for almost four years now um, as a as a business, and they've been they've been awesome. Um, we then went to Sephora, sold online in Sephora, and now um, we are in Target, on Target shelves. So this is really our first moment of being on a shelf in a mass retailer, hundreds of doors. Um, it's been such a whirlwind, but it is, it's is—it's so thrilling, and it really feels like, I think, the, the
2: place that we always wanted to see the business get to. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and how did you, especially for the Target... On store shelves, all over the country, deal. How did you manage that growth? I mean, just in terms of your team and manufacturing the product, um, what kind of work went into that and planning went into that?
1: Yes, um a lot. it's 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 a big undertaking. And that's why, again, I say, like, you know, there's there's no there's no harm ever in telling a retailer not right now and making sure that you are ready. Um, we launched a whole new line of products to launch at Target. And so, My journey to getting on the shelf was kind of funny too, because I, I, several years ago, sat next to someone who worked at Target at the time um, at like a brunch event. And I told her my story, and she was so excited that she got me a call with a buyer at that time. Um, I had that call, it went okay. There continued to be interest and the buyer switched, blah blah blah. You know, um, then I, I was able to get like an in person meeting scheduled in you know at their like Minneapolis HQ, um, with this buyer. I, I got like a last minute message from them, um, just as I probably like two days before I was meant to fly out, that they needed to cancel the meeting. I said, Well, I'm gonna show up, so find someone to meet, <laughs> <laughs> have a meeting, and then from there. Um, felt, you know, this is great. I still don't think we're quite ready, went through their accelerator program, and then finally launched. And so I think building that relationship over time and also letting them know that you take it seriously and that you're not just, you know, hopping right into to getting on the shelves, um, that allowed us to have the time to really think through what the product assortment was going to be. How are we going to get products, you know, to retail for $14.99? Because that's the Magic number um, for mass retail. Um, there were so many things that we had to answer, and we needed to take our time to get it right.
2: Yeah, I mean, it does take time to, to redo your whole product selection to mm-hmm. fit that that market. Interesting, um, and I think that that strategy is so smart because it sort of forces the big retailer to see you more clearly too, and yes. to to work with you and to to fit your needs a little bit as well as their own, right? Yeah. So that's fantastic. Um, and so, where's where's the company today? I mean, I know we've just. Had two years of pandemic, uh, which, you know, I, I, I'd love to hear how it affected your, your business, your growth, your sales, but where, yes. where is gold today yeah. in terms of employees, in terms of global sales, in terms of product lines? Oh, my gosh. Um, we are a team of ten
1: now, I think, um which is incredible. Um, you know we, we started off as as a team of two. Um, yeah, so to to have that um, really building out has been phenomenal. um you know, sold in in hundreds of of target locations, direct to consumer, Amazon now as well. Um, and then, of course, all of our our favorite and I think really standing. Uh, more sort of boutique partners like the Goops of the world. Um, So I think really like incredible diversified channel range as well, which has been really special to see from a product perspective. We've gone from one SKU to about a dozen, um, still more to come. So a lot lot of good stuff happening there. And then from a sales perspective, I, I mean, we've seen incredible growth with every year Um, every year we at least double, um, and sometimes we do a lot more than that. So, um, I think, you know, our strategy thus far has still kind of, I think, stayed true to the roots of the business, which is being really lean, being capital efficient, not rushing to, um, you know, take growth for the sake of growth, but to really be thoughtful about where our positioning opportunity is in the market. Um, so, you know, with that, we've really kind of, you know, thought through how we want to you know, continue to move forward with capital raises, et cetera, um, and really bring the business to a really smart place and not just a big place. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a fun journey, I would say.
2: <laughs> yeah. I love that you say bring it to a smart place and not a big place because that's one thing that really impressed me about you when we met years ago was that you weren't like running around New York City searching for venture capital. Yeah. You were you weren't looking to make any retail deal that you possibly could just to make it. Yeah. Um, and so it seemed to me that even from the very beginning, you had this really measured approach to growth. And it wasn't just about being lean for the sake of being lean. It was about sort of knowing your like not just your abilities but your desire at that moment, right? Like your You wanted to be on top of everything and not let it go beyond that ability. Um, What other thinking went into that sort of mindset and that – that approach to building the business, which was not what was in the water at that moment, right? Like, Especially the, not. Oh my yeah, gosh. like the New York City startup scene was very full of, you know, very kind of frothy. And there was this, like this <laughs> everyone was nervous about the series A crunch and I trying know. to raise a lot of money. So you weren't like that. No. Well, okay. In the beginning, I have to say, it wasn't
1: necessarily a strategic decision. I didn't even like, I didn't know about investors. I didn't. I just started the business and I did it the only way I knew how to, which was with the savings that I had and building it to be profitable. And it wasn't until about a year into the business um, that we started to have angel investors reach out. We started to have these conversations. And at that point, I had already run the business completely on our own terms for over a year. And it didn't quite make sense to me just yet at that time to take on outside capital, to change that direction. I felt that the business was a little bit too early on in really establishing product market fit. I knew that at like 24 years old, I was a little early into my CEO journey um, to be responsible for someone else's billions of dollars. Um, So I think it's such a different world now because now there's this assumption that at the very least you're going to raise like 500 K friends and family. Right. Um, But I I think that the way that we did it was so different. I mean, my co-founder and I literally touched everything. We didn't even have consultants in the beginning. Like no one but us was working on this business and we slowly, but surely relinquished, you know, certain, uh, certain things out to like part-time employees who then became full-time employees So it really took us, I would say, up until we launched in January of 2017. It was about three years later, 2020, that we really started to feel like we had a clear sense of the trajectory of the business, the opportunity with the business, how we were going to build out a team to even really start seriously entertaining these conversations with angel investors and making it happen. And I think that the massive benefit of doing it that way was that, first of all, it forced us to be creative. So we came up with these really wonky ways to get the brand out in front of people. And the downside there is that we completely missed out on the golden era of Facebook advertising. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: but um, we built a community and, and, and that is is that um, perseveres more than any customer acquisition cost um, on any digital ad platform. Um, And so I I think now at at, at that time, you know, 2020, as we started to go out for our first little angel investor raise, we had really something built that we could use as a foundation um, to start to push growth behind.
2: So what are you looking at um, toward the future? What um, what do you see as as the areas of future growth? And what are you excited about um, this year moving into 2023 too? Uh, 2022, I am just filled with excitement about this
1: year. I don't know. I, I've talked to some other founders and they've mentioned feeling the same way. But, man. 2021 felt like a bit of a slog. I think, you know, year two of the pandemic, some things are better, some things feel worse. Like it just felt so heavy. And I think 2020, you know, for us was like all of this change and this growth and investors in the business for the first time. And um, I mean, we were like 10X up from what we had done 2019. So it was just, you were just running on adrenaline the whole time. And 2021 was kind of, I felt like I was in a bit of a fog of like, man, what just happened for the past, the past year and a half? Where am I? I think now coming you know, in, into this you know, point of you know, early, halfway into to 2022, um, I feel this, this, this renewed energy around how we're thinking about our customers, our product, how we're building out the team, how we're continuing to lean into our retail partners, but also building out D2C, what that like, you know, magical five-year plan looks like for the business. Um, I think I've just come out of this experience with so much clarity on, on that. Whereas I, I think for so many of us, uh, those first couple of years of the pandemic were just, you know, running to put fires out and then feeling fatigued and not really knowing what to do about it. <laughs> um, so I'm very glad to be, at least for the time being, on the other side of that. Um, and just just really looking forward to all of it. I I, I think there's so much, so much good
2: stuff coming. Great. Well, thank you so much, Trinity, for being with me today. Of course. Thank you, Christine. After speaking with Trinity, what stuck with me is that she approached the creation of her business so naturally. She did the work herself, from mixing superfood blends to walking into stores to try to get her products on their shelves. And she continued that, wanting to maintain control over gold's growth, over which shelves it appeared on, and to make sure it didn't grow too fast. Make sure her small organization could handle the supply and the strain of any move she'd make. That's something we can all learn from. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. I'd love it if you could subscribe or follow us wherever you are listening. And if you have anything that's stuck with you from a past What I Know episode, I'd love to hear it. Let me know on Twitter at Legorio or leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Seeing those reviews really does help other people who'd love this show find us. Our producer, who is also a big fan of functional mushrooms, is Joshua Christensen. Our production assistant is Blake Odom, and our editor is Nicholas Torres. I'm Christine legorio Chapkin Thank you for listening to What I Know.